0: Hey guys, and welcome back to Murdered and Missing. I'm your host, Nicole, and the case that I have for you this week is... It's rough. And with that said, I'm just going to go ahead and give a blanket trigger warning for the whole episode. Um, this week, we are in, in Texas discussing the unsolved murder of Sherry Ann Jarvis. Hey guys, and welcome back to Missing and Murdered. I'm your host, Nicole, and the case I have for you this week is rough. I'm going to give this week's episode a blanket trigger warning. And that's because I will be briefly talking about the sexual assault of a minor. I just want everybody to be prepared that we're we're going to discuss it briefly. I'm, I'm not going to get into the details of it. Um, those can be found online if you, you really need to know, which I don't think any of us really need to know because it's rough. I had to read these details and I'm telling you guys, You don't want to read them, okay? So this week, we're in Texas, and we're going to be discussing the unsolved murder of the Walker County Jane Doe. She was referred that way for 41 long years, but her name is Sherry Ann Jarvis, and this is her story. Sherry Ann Jarvis was born on March 9th, 1966, and she lived with her parents in Stillwater, Minnesota. For the first 13 years of her life, Sherry and her parents lived what seemed to be a happy life. However, in 1979, Sherry was removed by the state of Minnesota for habitual truancy. And once removed, from her home, Sherry would be placed in a foster home that was located in Stillwater. And it was in this foster home that she would await her hearing for her truancy case and where she would meet these two unidentified sisters with whom she would eventually run away with. Now, an article I read by ABC 13 reported that Sherry ran away from the agency that had custody of her and it was actually the agency that reported her missing. However, another source that I read for this case stated that it's actually unclear who reported her missing and that's because um, the Walker County Sheriff's Office released a press release stating that all records from that time of her disappearance had been purged. Now, I read that little excerpt in a blog post um, by Odd Murders and Mysteries. So I don't know if it's the most reliable source, but it's not the only source that I've read um, that stated these records had been purged. And to me, the record being purged means that it was deleted. Or thrown out because it's the 1980s, and I don't, and nothing was digital back then. So these records were essentially thrown out. Now, if I'm wrong, correct me. Um, you know, it, it would be different if the articles were stating that they were lost or they were destroyed in a fire, but the verbiage was purged. So that kind of struck me as a little odd. Um. Anyway, so. Sherry and these two girls that she ran away with headed towards Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, Green Bay is actually 264 miles east of Stillwater. I wish y'all could see my face. My eyes are like bugging out of my head right now. So by car, this would have taken those girls roughly four hours to get there. And with it being the 1980s, I'm assuming they hitchhiked, they walked. I don't know. They got there somehow. So these sisters and Sherry end up um, in Green Bay and it's unclear how long they were there for. But what is clear is that the two sisters that were traveling with Sherry decided to return to Stillwater and they asked Sherry if she wanted to come back with them and she told them no. She refused and she left on foot. Now, we're going to fast forward to August of 1980. Sherry would eventually send a letter to her family. Some sources have it listed as a postcard. Um, So I'm just going to kind of refer to it as the letter postcard. So this letter postcard stated that she would not be returning home until she was 18 to 21 years old. And some sources have it listed that she was upset about being incarcerated for the truancy. I'm going to leave my opinions out on it. I have opinions on it and I'm sure y'all have opinions on it, but those opinions are not pertinent to the case. So her family gets this postcard saying that she's not coming back until she's 18 to 21. Now I'm assuming it's because that way at that age, the state can't bring her back up on these charges. I don't I don't know. But the odd thing about this letter postcard thing is that it comes from Denver, Colorado. Now, last we know, she's in Green Bay. Well, now she's in Denver. Or at least this postcard slash letter is coming from Denver. Denver is 1,101 miles from Green Bay, where Sherry was last reportedly seen. How she got there, when she got there, and how long she was there, I have no idea. I do know that um, when Sherry's family kept this letter slash postcard, or excuse me, when they received it, they kept it for decades. They also kept the same telephone number in hopes that one day Sherry would contact them again. And they even went so far as hiring a private investigator um, with hopes of, sorry, I hit my microphone, finding her. Unfortunately, it would be 41 long years until the Jarvis family would receive the answers to what happened to Sherry and where she was. Between August and October 30th of 1980, so August of 1980 is when this postcard gets sent. In August 30th of 1980, Sherry is going to make her way to Texas. I'm going to assume she's coming from Denver. That's where the postcard came from. So that's where we're going to assume she's coming from. So she makes her way to Texas. And on Halloween night, October 31st, 1980, Sherry arrives in Huntsville, Texas like I said earlier, where she was in the meantime is is kind of unknown. We know that she does arrive in Huntsville on August thirty, or excuse me, October 31st, because three different witnesses would come forward reporting that they had spoken to her and confirmed to authorities that they had physically seen her that night. So the first witness is going to be from the golf gas station where sherry would stop um and ask for directions now this gas station is actually on the south side of huntsville and she ends up speaking to the manager on duty slash owner of the store the guy's position with his company was kind of unclear <coughs> sorry if you just heard my dog bark Um, So she speaks to this guy and she asks him for directions to the now closed Ellis prison farm where um, she stated that she was going to see a friend who was there. So the manager slash owner of this gas station gives her verbal directions and she sets off in the direction of the prison farm. Now, the second sighting of Sherry would be the same night, and it would actually be on the north side of Huntsville along I-45, where she entered a hitch-and-post truck stop. Here, Sherry would speak to two employees and, again, ask for directions to the same prison farm. Now, according to one of the sources I read um, for this week's episode, one of the employees asked Sherry where her parents were, and she responded with, quote, who cares? This same employee also asked her how old she was, and Sherry told her that she was 19. At this point, Sherry's only 14 years old, so I doubt um, this witness believed her very much, which is probably why she had asked her where her parents were. These witnesses also asked her where she was from, to which Sherry told them that she was actually a runaway from the Rockport-Aransas Pass area, which is actually 257 miles south of Huntsville. So Huntsville is up closer to the Houston area, whereas Rockport and Aransas Pass are closer um, to the Corpus Christi area, even though Corpus is actually um, a little further South and Rockport, but I think north of Oranzas Pass or it, it, they might actually be in the same area. I, I used to live in Corpus. I can't I can't remember um, just where they are. I know that they're fairly close um, to each other. Anyway, so after this interaction with the hitchin and Post employees, Sherry was then given written directions to the Ellis prison farm and then left. This would be the last confirmed sighting of Sherry alive. The following morning on November 1st, 1980, around 9.20 in the morning, a half mile south of FM 1969 and two miles north of Huntsville, a truck driver would call the police to report finding a body on the shoulder of I-45 Interstate. Now, this is where the blanket trigger warning does come in. Sherry was found laying face down and nude, wearing only a rectangular brown pendant with blue and brown glass colored stone on a thin gold chain. Her ears were pierced, but no earrings were found on or near her body, and she was wearing red leather high heels. And witnesses did report that they had seen her carrying light brown sandals with straps that were found laying next to her, and the rest of her clothing was unaccounted for. The medical examiner determined that she had died six hours before she had been found, which would have been roughly three in the morning. Her autopsy report stated that she was severely beaten and strangled with pantyhose. The pantyhose was found stuffed inside a body cavity. And there was evidence to suggest that she had been sexually assaulted. Like I said earlier, a lot of the sources do dive in and discuss more of the circumstances around her autopsy report. I'm not going to get into those. It was rough to read. I... Y'all don't need to hear it. A large bite mark was found on her right shoulder and DNA was collected from that bite mark. And Sherry's official cause of death was ruled a homicide due to asphyxia from ligature strangulation. The medical examiner also determined that she was most likely between the ages of 14 to 18 and was not malnourished. She was very well taken care of and that she most likely came from a middle-class household and she had perfectly aligned teeth. With no idea who she was at this point, Walker County officials referred to her as the Walker County Jane Doe. Now, something that struck a chord to me was the fact that, that The medical examiner listed her as in really good condition. She's not malnourished and she didn't seem like she had been on the streets, so to speak, for a long time. So we know that from August to October, she was at least traveling from Denver to Texas. So that probably sometime before August is when she left still water and ended up in green bay so who she was with during that time leads me to wonder if maybe this person was with her the whole time or if this person knows more than you know officials do i i don't know I wish I had more answers on that, but I don't. Um, and unfortunately, no ID was found on um, on Sherry's body. And that's where the term Walker County Jane Doe uh, comes in. And the police would eventually rely um, heavily on the public's help to try and identify her. And they would put out a call for anyone who might know something And I've said it once before, I'll say it again, and I'll probably say it 9,000 more times. If you know something, say something, and you can remain anonymous. Say it with me. You can remain anonymous. Please, if you know something, say something, okay? And in this case, witnesses who knew something said something. Witnesses came forward, and hallelujah, oh my God, multiple people come forward, right? And they tell police about the sighting of this unaccompanied young girl in the 24 hours leading up to her murder. Witnesses described her as wearing jeans, a yellow pullover, and a white knitted sweater with large pockets. They also told her that she was wearing brown strappy sandals and carrying Red leather high heels. So, if you remember, she was found wearing those high heels and the sandals were next to her. Police would actually use post mortem photos and show it to these witnesses. And all these witnesses were like, yep, that's the girl that I seen. So, we know that she was last seen at the gas station and then she was last seen at the Hitchin Post. And the employees that were all there were able to confirm that this was the girl. However, they didn't know who she was and they didn't have a name because she told them that she was actually from Port A slash Rockport area or excuse me, Aranzas Pass, not Port A. Um, So completely opposite ends of the country from where she was actually from. So police actually learned from speaking to these witnesses that Sherry was looking for directions to the Ellis prison farm. So they go there and they end up questioning every single person who was in that prison camp, guards, employees, inmates, everybody. One source I read said that there was an inmate who was close to Sherry's age, but this inmate denied having any knowledge of who Sherry was. Um so one article I read actually stated that at that golf golf gas station, G-U-L-F, golf, golf, golf. Anyway, um, she was last seen there at 6:30 on October 31st and supposedly had gotten out of a blue 1973 or 1974 Sherry Chevy Caprice with a light blue top. I only saw this reported in one article, so I'm not giving it too much merit since, you know, it's not widely reported. Um So take that as you will. However, I will say, you know, 630, okay, she's at this gas station and then now she's traveling to this Hitchin Post, which is north on the north side of Huntsville So sometime between 6.30 and 3 a.m., she gets to this restaurant slash truck stop, if 6.30 is even correct, you know, if that even is the last time that she was seen. She goes from the gas station to the truck stop and then somehow ends up meeting up with somebody who eventually takes her life. Now... With the fact that witnesses had told authorities she was from the Rockport slash Aransas Pass area, authorities would eventually travel down to that area to start working with school officials in the area and meeting with um, authorities, and they were hoping to identify um, this young girl. So they took post-mortem photos with them and they were perusing through local yearbooks and searching missing persons cases from the area. And they had no luck finding a match and that's because she wasn't from there. But police didn't know that. You know, police were doing their due diligence of going to this area and investigating because from what they know, That's where she's from. On January 16th, 1981, months after she was found, Sherry would be buried in the Oakwood Cemetery in Huntsville, Texas. She would remain there until 1999 when her remains would be exhumed and they would collect even more DNA from her body and then send that DNA off for more testing. They also performed a forensic examination at this time and were able to determine that the girl was between the ages of 14 to 16 and not 14 to 18 as they initially presumed. Sherry's case was officially reopened in 2015, 35 years after she was initially found murdered. At this time, um, investigators would send off those leather sandals that they had collected um, at the scene of the crime and they would send that off for some DNA testing. I was unable to find any results regarding that DNA testing. So I'm not really sure what came about it. Um, and it was at this time in 2015 that a photograph would um, surface. And they believe that this photograph was sometime in the ni- taken in the 1980s. And the girl in the photograph did resemble Sherry and Whoever had this photo believed that this girl was a runaway from the Corpus Christi area, which Corpus and Rockport Aransas Pass are all pretty close um, together. So I could see why investigators had a good hunch that this may, you know, this may be their missing person or excuse me, their, their Jane Doe. Um, However, authorities were able to figure out that this runaway was actually um, a young girl named Kathleen. Now, I've seen it spelled with a C or a K, Um, and this, this girl was traveling to a Texas prison, but she was actually heading to a different prison and not the same one that Sherry reportedly was going to. It wouldn't be until November 9th of 2021 that we would see a major break in this case. But to get to that major break, we need to rewind back to 2020. And this is when the Walker County Sheriff's Office would begin working with Orthom Labs to try and identify their gene dough. Orthum Labs is able to take extremely old DNA samples that generally can't be used with regular DNA testing, and they're able to get genome sequencing. And they do this by using forensic grade genome sequencing to find specific genetic markers. And initially, um, Investigators planned on using her femur bone and a tooth, but it had been 40 years since her murder and that evidence had decayed a lot. So they ended up using tissue samples that was taken at the initial autopsy that had been preserved and not used in any additional testing since that time. So these tissue samples were sent off to Orthum Labs, where they were able to create a DNA profile. And from that DNA profile, they created a family tree. And from that family tree, police tracked down potential relatives. And on November 9th, 2021, flanked by... Texas Rangers and FBI agents, the Walker County Sheriff's office that after 41 years, they finally knew who the Walker County Jane Doe was. And that was 14 year old Sherry Ann Jarvis. And unfortunately that's all we have regarding the case of Sherry. Um, I do want to talk about some theories that I seen floating around. Now, one of them, um, one of those theories is that she was a victim of the I-45 killer. And initially this killer was believed to be one singular person who murdered almost two dozen young girls and women between 1970 and 1990. Um, And eventually, authorities would be able to differentiate some of those murders. 11 of those murders occurred in 1970. And those 11 young women were dumped along I-45. And investigators don't believe Sherry is a victim of this particular serial killer. Another set of murders occurred in 1980, and it was four victims that were found during the 1980s. It's possible Sherry could be linked to those four victims, but I'm not sure. And lastly, the murders that occurred in 1990 are connected to William Lewis Reese, Authorities know for sure that Reese was not in the area during the 1970s murders and the 1980 murders. So that's at minimum two serial killers operating in the same area of Texas and using the same area as a dumping ground. Um, That theory kind of reminds me of the Lisk murders. If you're not familiar with them, it's the Long Island serial killer, and I believe there was one or two um, murderers who were using this particular area in Long Island as a dumping ground. Now, another theory is that the same person who murdered Sherry also married a young girl by the name of Deborah Jackson. Now, Deborah was previously referred to as the orange sox dough, and Deborah was found in the same manner as Sherry. She was sexually assaulted, strangled, left nude, and laying by the side of the highway. Deborah was also found on October 31st, 1979. So exactly one year before Sherry. And the only difference in Sherry's case and in Deborah's case is that Deborah was actually found along I-35 and not I-45. I-35 is in Georgetown, Texas, and um that's actually north of Austin. And according to the DNA Doe Project's website, Deborah was also found um to be wearing only socks on her feet, which is where the, um, orange socks dough, um, moniker came from. And like Sherry, um, Deborah only had something on her feet and all of her other clothes, um, clothing items were unaccounted for. So looking at those similarities, it's possible that these two victims are related, um, and potentially murdered by the same suspect, but I don't know. Now the final theory is that Deborah and Sherry were actually murdered by the serial killer Henry Lee Lucas. And if you know anything about this jack wagon of a human being, he's referred to as the confession killer. And that's because he liked to confess to murders that he know he knew he didn't commit and then recant his confessions. So Lucas does end up confessing to the murders of both Sherry and Deborah, but Sherry was found with that bite mark on her right shoulder. And that bite mark was compared to Lucas's bite. And they were able to rule out that Lucas and, um, his bite did not match the bite mark on Sherry's arm. So he was ruled out as a suspect. And then for Deborah's murder, he ends up recanting that confession because it was found out that he was actually in Florida for work at the time that Deborah was murdered. So those are the the three or four theories that I've got um, regarding this case. But if you or anyone you know has any information on the senseless murder of Sherry Jarvis, you are encouraged to call the Walker County Sheriff's office at 936- 435-2400. 435-2400. Her case number is 801-1476. If you wish to remain anonymous, you can contact the Texas Crime Stoppers at 1-800-252-TIPS. That's 1-800-252-8477. Like I said, you can remain anonymous. Um, That's it. That's the the story of the unsolved murder of Sherry Ann Jarvis. If you could give me a rating and review join me on Facebook, Murdered and Missing a True Crime Podcast follow me on Instagram Murdered and Missing a True Crime Pod shoot me a gmail Murdered and Missing 416 at gmail.com until then, keep it spooky and be a good human where's it's